Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us as we uh, make our way through the week. We move into uh, the 16th chapter of Exodus. This is a, I think in lots of ways this is a signature part of the story. This is one of those stories that you probably know if you've done much with Scripture. And uh, also, it it shows up in some different ways, and we'll talk about those as we go. This is um, we saw yesterday the Israelites needed water, and a little bit of that that story. There's that's kind of an expanded theme today as we move into the 16th chapter. I uh, don't know that we'll go verse by verse, but let me start here and then we'll go from there. The whole congregation of Israel set out from Elam in Israel came to the wilderness of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai, and on the 15th day of the second month after they disappeared, after they disappeared, they departed, sorry, from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We can stop there. Uh, This is going to be, we don't want to overdo it here, but this is going to be a theme. Um, Every time something bad happens, they're going to look at Moses, in this case is Aaron as well. And why did you do this to us? Um, did you bring us out here to die? So um, they, they, we talked yesterday. The people bounce very quickly in this narrative between optimistic and pessimistic, between faithful and doubtful. Um, we see that all the time in this story. I think what's interesting here, Michael, is um, – well, A, how quickly it happens, and mm-hmm. B, I think it's it's interesting that they have a very they have a very positive memory of what <laughs> they think happened in Egypt. Yes, and I, I'll get to that. I want to add a, a three, or what would be my three. Uh, I, I would add to this. Note who they address. Right, they are talking to. Moses and to Aaron, and it's striking because just paragraphs before, they were singing songs of deliverance to God. They were they were giving thanks to God for delivering them from this captivity and bondage. And here now, when it comes to this second uh, trouble, that this trial, as they continue on this journey, their complaints are against Moses and Aaron. And it's striking to me how quickly they have shifted away from the source of their deliverance, the one who brought them out. And now they are going to Moses and Aaron. It's sort of like going to the customer service department and railing against them when they're not the ones who are responsible uh, for the problem, right? Ultimately, it's putting their faith and trust in God. But I also want to point out, yeah, Clint, selective memory much? I I mean, we, we just not long ago were talking about the 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 capital punishment the death that was being inflicted upon them and here as the narrative tells the story you know i'm i'm sure that there was nuance to fill in and you know that there were many perspectives but the story that is included in the book of exodus is that they accuse moses and aaron of bringing them out into the wilderness with the language to kill the assembly with hunger. Now, exaggeration or hyperbole, hyperbole uh, maybe, 
But yet at the same time, Clint, the just the chasm that has opened between the situation that the people were in moments ago and now the the trouble that the situ uh, of the situation the people experience now and and the lack of trust in god and the lack of awareness of the change of their circumstance um mm -hmm. is troubling yeah i you know there's just something here michael that i think is deeply true when we find ourselves in a in a difficult place when we find ourselves facing adversity it is so easy to kind of romanticize the past and to uh, attribute to to prior days, to days that are long gone, a, a kind of goodness that is only part history and is part um, fantasy. I, I mean, the, they didn't just sit around eating. Right. I, I mean, they were slaves. They were making bricks. They were under the the boot of the pharaoh. They they were under the control of Egypt. You know, so. Um, it, it, this is, I think, the text's way of telling us that, unfortunately, the Israelite people are not fully vested in the reality they're in. When, whenever they have a challenge, whenever they have adversity, they're, they're, the road that they've paved for themselves is doubt, is questioning, is complaining, and now is is sort of fantasizing or sort of dreaming, and and we'll hear things like this again. Um, but they're not. None of those things are steps toward faithfulness. None of those things point in the direction that God wants to take them. So I think this is a this is a very interesting passage. Um, a pastor that that I like a lot once used this phrase. Um, People prefer the misery they know to the mystery they don't, and I think the Israelites bear that out. They, they're not good with the idea of, of new things, particularly when those new things are difficult. So I think there's more here. I think this is connected, like uh, I said at the end of yesterday's study. I do think that there's something meaningful and the first miracle being needed is the miracle of water uh, that that you get into the wilderness and now you need something to drink. And then that the next problem directly facing the people is food. I, I think it speaks to us as the story continues about the fact that the people are now relying upon God for their basic necessities, the, the things that before they could rely upon their slaveholders to do for them. Now the people must rely upon God to do. And in many ways, the, the transition from those who served under a despot, those who serve under Pharaoh, who uh, re really wanted to abuse, misuse, even murder the people, are now under the free hand of a loving God. And they are not acting incredibly different under the hand of God. And I think that there is also some spiritual lesson about our own temptation to, to personify God, to imagine God to be like some of the worst examples of people in, in our life. You know, we, we have in the Lord's Prayer, uh, you know, our Father, we address God as Father, but that doesn't mean that God has the character traits of those fathers who, who haven't portrayed the love of God, the compassion of God. They're, human relationships only go so far, and it seems to me here, Clint, that 
some of that mystery you're talking about is the people being unable to discern the difference between what they had experienced and where they now are. And because of their inability to see that, their behavior is destructive to the community. Their complaining is not going to create any value, any anything meaningful mm-hmm. within their uh, ranks. But that's where they turn because I think they, they fail to see the difference between then and now. Yeah, I, I think – Woven throughout this whole story, Michael, is just that question, who do they trust and how much do they trust? And and in this initial part of the story, the answer is um, maybe no one and not much. And so they're struggling with that. Let's continue on a little bit and um, see where we go from there. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instructions or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening you shall know it was the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? When the Lord God gives you meat to eat in the evening and you fill your and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard your complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. So a, a couple of interesting things here. We saw this word test yesterday. Here we get it perhaps in a little bit of a different uh, usage, but here it, it is not it is whether they will be obedient. The, the test is not um, to see whether or not they get food. God is going to provide food. But the, the test that that's going to mean is can they trust? And fascinating, Michael, this gift of food, the way that this happens is, you know, the, the Bible often uses physical food and water as metaphor for the spiritual. And so here... The spiritual lesson is that they will be able to gather each day mm-hmm. what they need for that day. They can't hoard it. They can't house it. They can't save it up. That they are going to find themselves in a daily experiment to trust God for the coming day, the exception being the Sabbath, which they can gather a double portion on Friday so that they have enough for the Sabbath. But... um and we that language you know leaks into Christianity. Give us that they are daily bread. That's the idea behind this. That each and every day we have to choose again to put our trust in God for sustenance, for nourishment, for what sustains us. And you know this is um, I, I love this part of the story. And I really the um, can you call it wisdom. The mechanism here by which God makes them trust him every day or or at least test them to see if they will trust him every day is very interesting. I also think there's a deeply human response that we see happening from Moses already in this story. And, you know, I look here at what he says in verse 7. Uh, first of all, you'll see the glory of the Lord because it's the Lord who's heard you complaining. What are we? that you complain against us. And I think that there's a beautiful kind of air traffic control, rhetorical air traffic control happening here. You, you know, no, uh, you're not complaining that 
I brought you out, that ultimately the test, to your point here, Clint, the test is not whether or not Moses will get them through. It's whether or not God will be faithful to them. And God will be faithful, but how will the people respond? And what will they continue to say? And how will they continue to behave towards one another? There's The moments of difficulty tend to be moments that reveal our character, and they are also moments that grant us an opportunity. Even if it's a a thin moment, they grant us the opportunity to make a choice. Sometimes it's a new choice, and I think that some of that is the test that's in play here. Will they see that the food that is provided is more than just that day's meal? Will they see it as a kind of promise, a, a kind of ongoing, visible reminder of the God who they may not see, but is caring for them. And, you know, if you know your Bible and you know what is to come, it, it's somewhat horribly ironic that the physical things that uh, grant us some awareness of the God who is around us, um, they often become the things that we fixate on or the things that we look at and we fail to see God who is working behind the scenes. And, you know, it's amazing how quickly water and bread um, quenching our physical needs, how quickly that takes precedence over the kind of gratitude and trust and awareness that the people had just a few short verses ago. But it would be easy, Clint, I think, to disparage the people of Israel. I think if we're going to be a little bit more humble, we might admit that this is a thing that I think every human can relate to. We we share short-sightedness, and especially in moments of difficulty when our character is tested, we've all known a time when that character has been left wanting. Sure, and and often that happens to us in those moments of adversity, those moments we're challenged or those moments that we have needs or that we're struggling. And, I, you know, certainly the case here, and part of the reason that this story is powerful to us. Yes, this is history and we understand something of the covenant story in it, but also because it invites us to see ourselves in the role of Israel. And as, as much as we would like to believe we would have acted differently, I think the challenge of this text is when you're struggling, when there are significant question marks before you, and when those around you are complaining and, and filled with negativity and fear, do you join them or not? And the answer for for most of us too often is, yeah, we we do that. We we sometimes travel those roads, and so um, this is. I again, I, I just I have a fondness for this part of the story. Um, I just finished this last per, part out, so we can start with. Um, maybe get into more of the heart of it tomorrow. Moses says to Aaron, say to everyone, the congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord. He's heard your complaining. And Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, and they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I've heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So we talked, we've talked before lots of opportunities in this story. Moses says mediator, the go-between. Here Moses gives a message to Aaron. He relates to the people. God speaks directly to Moses, again, telling them of this thing that's going to happen. I've heard your complaining. I'm going to act, 
And that's the promise that hangs over this part of the text. Tomorrow we'll look at how that promise is fulfilled. There's some, again, some fascinating lessons, I think, in it. But uh, here we leave the people on the verge of uh, being called to trust that God is going to respond to their needs. Yeah, and Clint, there's a what you might think of as a small detail that I don't want us to miss in verse 10. So as Aaron is saying this to the congregation, you kind of imagine them all gathered and here they're being addressed. Um, they are looking toward the wilderness. So imagine that. They're looking out to the expanse of the unknown, to the reality of their challenge, of their struggle, uh, the future, which is yet written, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And, you know, we have said this many times earlier in the book of Exodus, that ever since the burning bush, the question has been hanging over this text, who is God? Um, God reveals himself to Moses in this fiery bush, this bush that is burning but not consumed. Um, God continues to show strength, of course, through all these plagues. Then as this military general, you might remember this idea of a cloud again as God was above the battlefield uh, over in the parting of the Red Sea. And now here, the glory of the, of the Lord appears again in the cloud. And so, it, it may seem like a strange detail, but friends, imagine that physical reality of looking out into the unknown and there the presence of God being made visible. God's uh, God himself is not showing his face, and yet he is clearly with the people. The, the This language and appearing uh, kind of vocabulary is going to appear multiple times here in the book of Exodus. And I think it's important because as the story of Israel continues beyond Exodus, there's going to be time and time again temptation to create graven images of God, to make God look physical. And throughout this entire deliverance story, God never steps out in that way. God, God never does that. It's always a measure of faith. It always requires trust on behalf of the people. And yet there are moments like this one where while you're looking at the challenge, God is there, and God is is seen in a cloud. And I think there's something really, really interesting about that. Yeah, I think one of the ongoing struggles of the people, those those people and we people, um, Michael, is we th- we think of doubt when it comes to our faith. We think of doubt as somehow doubting that God is out there, and that's not the struggle of the people. They, they don't doubt that. They doubt that God can be trusted. They doubt that God is interested in them. They doubt that God will protect them. Th- their doubt is not a doubt of God's existence, but it is, it's relational doubt. Can, can this God that is capable of these things, can this God who uses his power use power, will that God use power to our benefit and not to our harm? Are we safe following that God? And I think, you know, those are the deep questions that kind of run through this narrative. And unfortunately, the Israelites most often answer them incorrectly. But that's not, again, that's not intended to just be their story. That's 
the human story. That's our story as well. So uh, just, there's a lot of jumping off places here. I think, um, again, tomorrow we get a chance to really mine some of the depths of the those themes. Yeah, and, and to be clear, if this feels like kind of an abrupt ending, it's because it is. We're not done. The story here is going to sure. continue. So uh, we're glad that you would spend some time with us today as we set this up and hope that you'll join us tomorrow as we continue on uh, here in our study of Exodus. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.